Now, let's get into today's message. How many of you have been here for several of the first few weeks? Oh, good. I see we got some that have not been here. So let me give you a quick recap. Uh, we started first talking about Joseph and these two dreams that God gave him. And he, you know, he was a little proud. He was a little boastful. And so he went bragging about his dreams and sharing them with his brothers and then his parents. And that got him into not so great of a place with his brothers and his parents. And, and that led to them in week two being resentful of him. And that they, they're like, listen, we don't want to hear from this little punk anymore. So we're going to put him in this ditch and we're going to leave him there. And then one of them was like, no, we can't leave him there because eventually dad's going to find out. And so they're like, let's just make some money off him. Let's sell him to these Ishmaelites. And so they sold him into slavery. Then the next week we find him in Potiphar's house. He had been purchased. And so now he's a slave in Potiphar's home. But God has got favor on his life. He's rising up to the point where Potiphar has set him in charge. He's second in command, if you will, only to Potiphar. And, and then we see Potiphar's wife start making passes and advances. And, and now uh, he didn't buy it. He didn't go with it. And so then she uh, uh, false accuses him to her husband and to everybody else in the household. And so then Joseph finds himself in prison. And then the following week, as he's in prison, we hear about the cupbearer and the, the chief baker. I know this is the fast, fast version. And they have dreams, and they don't have an interpretation for their dreams. God gives the interpretation to Joseph. Those dreams come to pass. The baker, we know he didn't do so well. And the cupbearer has been restored, and he is now at the right hand of Pharaoh, back doing what he was uh, doing before he got sent to prison. But Joseph is still in prison. At least two years. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today. Is how does Joseph end up getting out of prison? And what we're going to talk about today is something called the sovereignty of God. How many of you have heard this before? This is something that's huge, and I'll tell you why. Because so many people, I get this question all the time, so do other pastors and church leaders, people constantly wondering, if God is so good, right, how can these bad things happen in my life? How is it that I still have this negative thing, or, or this you know, job gets taken from me, or I lose a loved one, or, or all these things that... People just can't wrap their minds around and, and reconcile with the fact that I know God is good, but why do these things still happen in my life or in the life of my loved ones or other people I know? There's something called the sovereignty of God. And here's what you have to know. God is good, right? He is good. Everything that God does for us in our life is good. You have to know that. You've got to settle that issue in your heart right up front. But God has given us all something called a free will. Right? God is not violating our free will. He's not, uh, did God force you to come to church today? No. Did he, does he force you to do anything that you're doing in your life? No. He doesn't force you to follow him or serve him or claim him. And if he did, it wouldn't mean anything. Right? If we didn't have the ability to choose, if, we, it, was, if it wasn't really and truly an option for us to choose, it wouldn't mean anything for us to choose God. But he does. And so what you have to understand is that God isn't doing the bad things in your life, right? A lot of people wonder, am I getting punished, or does God just not care about me, or does he hate me? Did I make him mad? Listen, no, but God allows things in our life to, to reveal things in us, to, to reveal ways that we can come to know God even more, right? Because the greatest thing we can do in life is know God. That is the, the greatest thing we can do in our life is to know God, to be in relationship with God and to know him. It's not even about the stuff that we do for him. It is knowing him. 
And so in every situation, every circumstance that we walk through in our life, we have the opportunity to win in that we can know God more through that. And so this whole idea of sovereignty is that God's not doing these things, right? Just like in Joseph's story, God didn't tell his brothers, yeah, throw them in a pit. And then tell his brothers, hey, no, sell them to slavery. Oh, and then tell Potiphar's wife, hey, falsely accuse him, make advances. God didn't tell those people to do those things, but they did. But in it, God, just like he says in Romans 8, 28, will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Does anybody in here love God and are you called according to his purpose? Oh, you don't sound too convinced this morning. You've got to know this. And so... No matter what you're dealing with or what obstacles or what hardships or what loss or, or whatever, you've got to keep that in the back of your mind that God is sovereign. And none of the things that we're dealing with will keep us from where God wants to take us if we'll stay faithful and we'll stay true to him. And that's really what we're talking about today in this aspect of Joseph's life. And so let's pick up the story, Genesis 41, 1 through 4. After two years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. Now, I don't know if Pharaoh loved cows and had some fascination with cows, and that's why God chose to use cows in his, in his dream. But, but God is trying to get a message. He's trying to show something to Pharaoh. And, and it's really a part of his setup for Joseph. Because see, here we are in Genesis 41. We could really sum it up. There's 57 verses. It's a long chapter. You can go back and read it for yourself. But it's really, we see Pharaoh has these dreams. God gives Joseph the interpretation. God gives Joseph a plan and then promotes him to be the solution. Joseph went from prison to the palace Pharaoh has these dreams. Joseph gives him the interpretation. That's what I said. But seven signs of God's sovereignty in this. Because you're going to see as each of these uh, aspects of this unfold, God is the one behind all of it. Right? Pharaoh, uh, Joseph's probably wondering. He didn't know if he's going to be in prison for two more years, for five more years, for ten more years. He doesn't know. At this point, all Joseph knows is that, well, I'm in this prison, and they've put me in charge even in the prison. And so I'm just going to stay faithful and keep doing that. We don't know if maybe Joseph had interpreted even some other people's dreams while he was in prison. We don't know. It's possible. But the point is, Joseph's not in prison and in this place in his life just complaining, turning his back on God. I can't believe you allowed me to get in prison. What a liar. You're such a liar, God. We don't see that. Instead, Joseph is staying faithful because he's holding on to the dreams that God gave him at 17 years old. And he knows that God is faithful. And that he, even though he can't see the way out right now, he knows what the end is supposed to look like. Come on, any of you have a dream from God that you know what the end is supposed to look like? You've got to hold on to that, especially when it feels like you took a left turn and you're like, no, the, the answer to the dream is that way. Why are we going left, God? He knows. He knows where you're at, and he's able to work through all of it. Seven signs of God's sovereignty. Number one, God gave Pharaoh two dreams. We just gave you the first as we continue in five, or eight, five through eight. It says he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and ripe, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump, ripe ones. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled. 
So he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. See, Pharaoh had other people that were supposed to be able to help him with things like this. But they didn't have the answer, just like uh, previously the cupbearer and the, and, the, and the chief baker didn't have the answer. Why? Because God is setting up Joseph to be the answer. And some of you, you might be in, in wherever you're at in life, whether it's the job you're in, whether it's the school setting you're in, I don't care what it is, you need to realize that you might be the answer that God is trying to bring to that place. You might be the one that if you'll just ask, God will give you the answer to your boss's problem that he's facing. This is how we've got to think practically, right? This is not just a good story. How does this relate to God in our lives? Because God loves us and wants to work in and through our lives the same that he did with Joseph. But we've got to ask ourselves, God, what, are you, what am I here for? Why am I still in this place? Why, why does my family, you know, have this situation going on? And, and what, can, what, what are you trying to do through my life to help bring a solution to it? Have you ever asked God that? We often don't think of that. We often just think, God, what are you going to do? Right? We want God to fix everything. Well, can I tell you, you're usually a part of God's fix. That's the joy that, that we have in being able to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. God could magically just fix everything just like this. He doesn't need us to help, but he invites us to be a part of that, and it's exciting. The cupbearer remembered Joseph. Remember, he previously had not remembered Joseph for two years, and Joseph had asked him, hey, on your way back up to the top, don't forget me. You might want to make mention, you know, let them know I'm still here, and I didn't do anything wrong. I shouldn't even be here. Let them know how I helped you, right? And the cupbearer, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll remember you. I won't forget you. Right. Totally forgets about him. Out of sight, out of mind, just like that. For two years. And then look at this. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with the servants, and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. I'll tell you this. Some of you feel like people have forgotten about you, like you're, you're overlooked at work. You're overlooked in your friend group or, your, or whatever it is that you're just not seen, that people just don't think about you. You're the, the last one to get picked. Come on, anybody been the last one to get picked? Yeah, I have. I raised both hands. Almost happened. No, it didn't happen to me last week. Thought it was going to happen to me last week playing basketball. But we've all been in places in our life and in moments in our life where we feel like we're forgotten. But I want to remind you that God knows exactly where you are, and he knows exactly who to tell when it's time for you to come and do what you need to do. God knows where you're at. He sees you. Other people may forget, and they may forget for years, but God knows, and God has a way of reminding them when it's time to call your number. But we got to remain faithful. And so, naturally, what does Pharaoh say? Well, then go get this guy. Because I already asked my people, and they don't know anything. 
So God uses Joseph to interpret the dreams. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. And here is what I love about Joseph. Remember, Joseph, when he was younger, was a little cocky, right? He was a little arrogant. Humility hadn't really set in. It didn't take yet. But now that he's older and he's walked through some things, he's, he's learned and he's allowed God to bring humility into his life. And so he says, I'm not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Listen, just remember, you've got to stay in that place of knowing, listen, it's not me. I'm not really your answer. I'm not really your solution, but I can point you and lead you to the one who is, right? And, and, and what God has given me, I'm happy to, to share with you, Right? That takes the pressure off. Come on, I can't be everything to everybody, and neither can you. But God can. And so we've got to tap into him and his wisdom and his knowledge and give him the credit so that he gets the glory. Seven good years followed by seven bad years. God gave him Pharaoh two dreams saying the same thing. Look, it's going to be great for seven years. There's going to be more than enough. And then there's going to be seven years that are going to be worse and greater than even the seven years of abundance. Well, that's not good news. Look at this in verse 32. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. You ever had your mom or your dad tell you something twice? What's that mean, right? We're all smart enough to know. If I'm telling you twice, you better be paying attention. Right? God's not just telling this for Pharaoh so he can put it in the back of his mind and and think about it 20 years down the road. No, he's saying, look. I'm letting you know that this is coming, and you better get ready. You better get prepared. You better get a plan. Joseph provides a solution to the problem. Look at this in 33 through 38. So now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by the famine. Now that sounds like a good simple plan, right? But having a good plan and actually pulling it off is two different things. Anybody in here ever have a plan? And then you got to the logistics. Right, I was just talking with, with Kevin. He's one of our elders here. And when he's not playing guitar, he loves to do a bunch of other stuff. And one of those things is camping. And so we were talking about, we got to get a camping trip, you know, an overnight, you know, something here local for our men to be able to go and do. And so we were talking about getting a date. Listen, the easy part is getting a date and just saying we're going to do it, right? Having the plan. The harder part is, okay, now we got to work out the logistics. What's it going to look like? How many people can, can come? How, you know, all these other things. We got to get food. And all that stuff. So Joseph, now there's a, there's a plan, and God has set him up to be the solution. Because there's no one with greater wisdom and insight right now in, in what God wants to do than Joseph. And Pharaoh, to his credit, recognizes this. Look at this. In verse 37 through 40, God divinely positions Joseph to lead. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and he said to them, Can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. 
Does that sound familiar? Everywhere Joseph goes, he ends up being the second in command to only the, the top person. Right? It's kind of his anointing, apparently, or the favor on his life. And why does God do that? Why? Because God is positioning him to be able to accomplish what God has spoken to him to accomplish. Listen, some of us, we want to have more favor in our life, or we want to get in this position or that position. Can I tell you, the position you need to be in is the position God wants you in for whatever he's trying to accomplish through your life. It's quiet in here this morning. It's a lot of scripture I know we're going through, but, but we are no different. We're no different. God will raise us up and put us in places and put us in positions in the timing and will that he has to pull off what he wants to do through our life. And we've got to trust in that. We've got to trust his timing more than our own. Come on, we talked last week about how we don't like to wait, right? We all hate to wait. But part of God's plan is always going to require a time of waiting. You just got to embrace it, maybe multiple times of waiting. I mean, look at Joseph. He had to wait in between even these other things that happened. He's been in jail for two years just waiting for what God had next and the next significant move. And let me say this. I love this reminder of how fast God can change your circumstances. He's been in jail. Now, all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. And just like that, in a moment, he's being sent for and he's being pulled out of jail. Some of you are in circumstances. You're like, I just don't know when this is going to end. Why is this taking so long? Why am I not whatever? God, I don't understand what you're doing. But if you'll stay faithful, I'm telling you, God will come through. He will finish the work that he says that he started in you. And he can change your situation just like that. It's powerful. I love this. It says he gave Joseph his signet ring. This is like having the king's credit card. Or I said in the first service, this would be like having one of those black cards. Come on, y'all have heard about the, the black cards, right? I don't think there's a limit on them or something. You can basically buy the whole world and make payments on it. I don't know. I don't have a black card. I'm not, that's, it's not in my world yet. But imagine, I mean, this is the, Pharaoh is the most powerful person in all of the world right now. And now he's just made Joseph second in command. It says he gave him linen clothing. That's a sign of high honor. He gave him a gold chain, another sign of royal authority. He gave him a chariot for transportation. A chariot's a big deal in this, in this time. I mean, imagine, even just imagine now, if you had to walk everywhere you had to go. Think about, you, you'd really have to plan your grocery trips, right? If you just couldn't get in your car and just get there in 10 minutes and then come back. Gave him a wife. I guess he thought he needed a wife. So there he goes. <laughs> no, no courting, no dating, just wife. And then he gave him authority second only to his own, just like uh, we had seen Potiphar do in his house, just like in the prison. God gives Joseph a family. In verse 50 through 52, it says, Two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine arrived. Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, meaning God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. And the second son he named Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Note that Manasseh and Ephraim are Hebrew names. So this wife that Joseph has now, she's Egyptian. But even though he was living in Egypt, and even though he married an Egyptian woman, 
who was the daughter of a pagan priest, mind you, Joseph gave his two sons names that would remind them forever of their true inheritance. This reminded me of, of the story of Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, or you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if you look back at the true meanings of those Hebrew boys' names, that's what prevailed in their life. Those names were tied to the one true living God. And, and even though uh, Nebuchadnezzar had tried to, to rename them and put a different identity on them by changing their names, it didn't stick. What God had said over them and spoken over them into their life is what prevailed. And Joseph knows, I, yeah, I may be in Egypt, but I still belong to the one true living God, the God of Israel. And so he named his sons in accordance with that. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Think about Joseph's life up until this point. He's been enslaved twice. He's been thrown into a pit. He's been betrayed He's been falsely accused. He's been forgotten. And in all of that, he's still standing firm and tall for God. Why? Because he trusts in the sovereignty of God. He doesn't have all the answers. I talk to people every single week. And at some point in most of these conversations, there comes a point where I have to, to tell them honestly, I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know that you'll ever have the, the full answer to that or the full understanding of why God's allowing this. I don't know. But that's part of us walking by faith and not by sight. There are part of this Christian life, it's about faith. Faith is what pleases God. You're not going to get all the answers. For the people that are, you know, skeptics and they don't want to put their faith in God because they don't have everything figured out, look. At some point, even if we give you as many answers as we can give you clear from Scripture, you're still going to have to apply your faith and put your faith in God. And there's still going to be some stuff you just don't know. Because that's where faith comes in. It says, I trust you, God. I trust in your character and who you are. And that's enough for me. That's what you're going to have to do. You've got to trust in the sovereignty of God. Stop trying to figure everything out. And just rest in knowing God has it already figured out. And it'll allow you to live in peace. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean you won't have times you wish you knew the answer, wish you understood. But those are the moments when you have to trust God even more. I mean, I'm sure Joseph had questions like anybody would have. I cannot understand what I've done, God, to deserve all this. Or why this... This path for me to get from A to Z had to, had to go this way and this route. And why I've had to endure all these things. I'm sure he had countless questions. But he didn't waver in his trust in that God, just like Romans 8.28 says, is working all things together for his good. Three stages of spiritual growth. Can't go back. Can't stay here. And I must go forward. You know, one of the aspects of Manasseh's name the definition right here says that he has made him forget the pain of his past. Some of you have had painful pasts. If I were to ask you to raise your hands in here, probably most of you would say, at some point in my life, in my past, I've had to endure a lot of pain. Some way more than others. You know you don't have to live with that for the rest of your life. God can help you heal from that and move forward and forget about it. 
you don't have to carry that with you the rest of your life. But you can't stay in the present either. Some of you have gotten to a place where you're like, man, life is so good right now. Can we just stop time right here and just never let anything else happen? But come on, the sun's going to go down today. It's going to come back up tomorrow. And then it's going to be Tuesday. And then it's going to be Wednesday. And then you're going to be at the yard sale. And then (laughs) life is going to continue to happen. Right? So we can't stay right here and be afraid of what's to come. We got to be able to move into what's coming and move forward, trusting, you know what, God? I can get up every day excited and confident knowing that no matter what happens, you are in control. Why? Because I've surrendered my life to you and I'm following you and I'm being faithful and I'm doing what you've asked me to do. And so I just know that no matter what happens, I'm going to be good. That's how we should be able to wake up each and every day. The dream is coming to pass. My last point for you. It's all unfolding according to God's plans. First came the seven years of plenty where there was more than enough food. Even with one-fifth of the grain put into storage, everyone in Egypt had plenty to eat. But eventually the seven years of famine came. As crops dried up and hunger spread, this is what happened. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. I said this in in 930 service. We got to be in a place with God that when the world is experiencing famine or experiencing struggle or, or any other thing that they're dealing with, they should be able to look to us as followers of Christ and find help. They should be able to look to us and go, man, I, I, I saw that how you got treated. I saw how, how so-and-so lied about you. I saw whatever it was, but yet you didn't stop smiling. You didn't stop coming to work, giving your best. You didn't stop continuing to be excited about your life and about God. Why? Why is that? People need to see us in our walk with God remaining faithful. There's too many times where where we give up. We give up because we just don't have all the answers and we can't figure it out. And and we lose our trust in God and in his sovereignty. And and you know what? If we we lose our hope in God, how in the world is the world supposed to find any hope in God? They're looking at us to see how real God really is. Make no mistake, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Oh, yeah, if God's really real, blah, 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 blah. How many of you have heard that? People ask you those questions. Oh, yeah, well, if he's so good, then how come you're dealing with this and your kids are going crazy? I don't know why my kids are going crazy. I'm asking God about that too, actually. (laughs) But I'll tell you this. I know that God's going to watch over them, and I know that he's going to bring them back to where they need to be, and they're going to get back on track because I have a promise from him. People need to see us in our walk with God, and they need to, we've got to tell them about it so that they know that there is an answer, and his name is Jesus. It all happened exactly as Joseph had said it would. It all happened exactly as God had planned. Joseph still could not yet see the big picture of what God intended. As far as he knew, he was doing God's will as the prime minister of Egypt, nothing more, nothing less. But God had bigger plans in mind. And what we're going to see over the next two weeks, and I love this, is that ultimately, 
this story isn't just about Joseph rising to some place of, of wealth and power and influence. It's about putting him in a place where restoration can come to his family. We'll see him get restored to his father who thought he was dead, to his brothers. It's powerful. It's not about where God takes us in terms of what we can achieve and our success. At the end of the day, it's always going to come back to relationships. So what does the Bible say? What, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose our soul? Right? What good is it? There's people who know what it feels like to, to gain material wealth and success, but their families are destroyed in the process. Still haven't talked to their, their parents in 20 years or their siblings. See, Joseph's story, like we said in week one, is really, it's really a parallel of Christ's story for us. We're separated, lost, separated from God, but God sent Jesus, who endured everything he endured, ending with the cross. Why? So that we could be, again, back in relationship with him. You know you're made for a relationship with God. That's what you're really made for. So I want to give you an opportunity today. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I've been to church a few times, but I don't know about this Jesus and I don't know about God and I definitely don't have a relationship with God. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today, to meet the one who's made you, the one who does have plans, does have dreams for you does have a purpose for your life. You can meet him today before you leave. And then I want to pray over you. So if you would, just bow your head. Just close your eyes. I won't keep you too much longer. I'll let you get out to lunch. But every service, we want to give you an opportunity to, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're all sinners. The Bible says we've all fallen short. But Jesus has come. He's died on the cross. He's taken our place. He's paid for our sins so that we could be saved, which isn't just to get us out of spending eternity in hell. It actually allows us to enter into a relationship with him, to be able to know him and experience him. So if that's you this morning and you've never made that decision, you've never accepted his payment for your sin, you've never asked him, to be your Savior, to be your Lord, you can do it right here, right now. And then I promise you, he'll tell you. He'll tell you the things that he has for you. He'll start sharing with you the gifts and the, and the calling that's on your life and what he's created you to do. But it begins with knowing him. And so this morning, if that's you, if you want to make that decision and get right with God and, and start that relationship with him, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. And maybe for those of you that have been in here and you've already said this prayer, you've already committed your life to Christ, but honestly, you've been living separate from him. You really haven't been staying and keeping up and maintaining your walk and your relationship with God. You can, you can make a decision to come back to him wholeheartedly today before you walk out of these doors. And so for any of you that are in that place today, this is between you and him. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand with every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone out of respect for those people. 
Would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Thank you for that hand. Come on, God loves you. He's made you for great things. He's put greatness in you. I want to just pray for you. If everyone would just say this prayer, repeat after me. And if you raise your hand or, or you, you want to say this prayer from your heart to God and you want to give your life to him today, just repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for putting breath in my lungs so that I could be here today and that I could hear about how you have come to save me. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need a savior. I needed someone to pay the price for my sins. And I thank you for sending your son Jesus to be that payment for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross and coming back to life so that I could know you. I just ask you today to come into my heart to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I give you my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. All of me I give to you for the rest of my life. And Lord, right now, I just want to pray over each and every person under the sound of my voice in here today. Lord, I pray that we would understand your sovereignty, that we would rest and trust in your plan working out in our lives, God, that even when we don't have answers, we don't understand the things that we have to go through, the things that we're enduring and dealing with. God, I pray that we would stop and we would recognize that no matter what we experience, you are ultimately working all those things for our good and for the plans that you have prepared for us. God, we trust you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you all.